Welcome along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. The COVID-19 crisis has had a significant impact on consumer behavior, but what will this mean in the longer term? In this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, I'm joined by Claire O'Rourke, who is the research lead at Dentsu Consult in Dublin, to examine how behavioral research can help businesses and leaders understand key market trends and, as a consequence, better connect with their clients and customers. Claire, great to speak to you. Lovely to be here, Laurie. So just, I suppose, to give you a bit of context about where I'm from. so. Dentsu Consult is a strategic growth agency, um, which is part of Dentsu Aegis Network, which is one of the world's largest global media and communications companies. So I'm lucky enough to be working in the research arm of Consult, really looking at research from the perspective of strategic growth and how it can really apply to business. And you come from a, a research background yourself or a psychological background? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my background originally, my undergraduate degree and my master's were both within psychology. So I've always really been interested in what makes people tick. Um, and then applying that to business, looking at key behavioral trends, um, particularly when you're thinking of consumers and thinking about how you can look at which are the transient versus enduring trends that really you can tap into as a decision maker. And that's, a, that's an interesting point you mentioned there, because I guess, you know, for a start or as a starting point, consumer research you know, can be conducted for a whole host of reasons for, for businesses, you know, research and development, PR, strategy, brand positioning, or, or a whole range of other things. But Ideally, I guess, good consumer insights should inform, you know, longer term sort of behavior. So what kind of consumer research would you normally undertake at Dentsu Consult? Well, really, it depends on who we have as clients. But I think one of the really nice pieces that we actually released into the wider sphere recently was a piece of consumer trends research that we conducted back in December. And we wanted to look at it look at it actually during COVID to see how those topics really continued to apply. And I thought that was really interesting. So we took a couple of key topics that I was really interested in around fake news, trust in technology, then also health and wellness and sustainability. And really, when you think about these trends, if you target them in a very from a very psychological perspective, you can really look at that macro trend rather than having to throw out your research as soon as a big disruptive event like COVID occurs. And so if we take that then, what, I guess, first of all, what did you find back in December? And then from that, what have you found as a consequence of, as you put it, that big disruptive event like COVID? Well, I suppose taking um, one kind of key topic, which is really all around trust and society and technology. And really what we were seeing was that people are very much trusting the technology that they're using. They're using them constantly at the moment for much more personal and interactive reasons than really 
consumers ever have before. So people with their um, intelligent home assistants are asking questions, asking it to search for products. And inherently, when you do something like that, you're saying that actually you trust the response and the algorithm that it's giving you. And I think we really saw that when we moved into COVID because people are were tapping into new technologies like Zoom that had never been used before with a kind of blind trust that it's secure, it's going to do what it says. And some of the time that's not always the best approach when you look at a new technology. And it's interesting you, you mentioned actually you, you were talking about say the, the, the home technology, the home assistance. Uh, Alexa and so on, I guess, are probably examples. But then when you step into the world of something like Zoom, and, and I guess equally social media and so on, people have have adapted to the new, the new normal, the new normality. But is that, do you think, due to choice? Is it necessity? Is it convenience? What do you think has driven that sort of behavior? Well, I suppose the greater availability of technology has obviously driven um, its use. And then with everybody working from home, we've really all jumped in to this really very interactive use of consumer technology. And I think it was really interesting at the beginning of COVID, especially people were talking about how this is going to be the death of the office. We can have all of this communication, interaction and relationships purely online. Um, and I think actually thinking from that psychological perspective, Yes, it had, it did actually give us that connection, those links with that human need for community. But what everybody is talking about now is actually Zoom fatigue. So it's not necessarily the death of the office we see now. There's going to be a greater role for technology and it's probably going to reduce a lot of business travel. But really, it doesn't replace that inherent need for interaction and interpersonal relationships. Absolutely. And you mentioned there fake news as well. And I, I guess if we take that, is there a trend towards people gaining more and more of their up-to-date news from social media or from other online sources rather than from more traditional sources? Absolutely. There's definitely quite a big trend towards social media. And I think when I first looked at this back in December, fake news wasn't necessarily that big a problem within Ireland. Um, it was something we were really seeing a lot more in the US and the UK. So what we found was that three quarters of Irish adults think fake news is a problem. But then what's really interesting about it is that actually less than a third of people say that they check the accuracy of what they read online. Um, and even fewer, um, a quarter of people check the accuracy of what's shared by friends and family members. So I think this was something that we really saw then kind of come to the fore actually throughout lockdown in Ireland. It was, it was suddenly this spread of these really completely fake messages that places like the journal were beginning to debunk for us. I think from this, from a psychological perspective, what's really interesting there is that the impact of stress on things like decision making is really well documented. So as people's individual capacity to actually think long and hard about every decision because they're under stress 
it was happening, we are actually beginning to perpetuate fake news in Ireland a lot more than we ever have before. I'm going to perhaps take a take a dive back into relatively ancient history for a moment. Uh, but I, I remember back during the time of the first Gulf War, so 1990, 1991, it was the first time that 24-hour news had really sort of taken over. And, and what what emerged was that rather than waiting for the nightly news bulletin or the next day's newspapers, if you just tuned into the 24-hour news on CNN, you could get much more current updates on, on events as they happen. Is that something similar playing out with the current crisis that people are finding, actually, I can get what I perceive to be, rightly or wrongly, much more current news from social media and other sources than I can from the more traditional sources. And so are the, the more traditional sources perhaps struggling to keep up. Yeah, I definitely think that's it to some extent. But there's also this idea of trust. And I think a lot of the fake news messages that were circulating were going through things like WhatsApp messages. So you inherently trust those people that you're WhatsApping. And you're not then engaging that really more slow thinking, decision making part of your brain, you're looking at it and you're going, oh, okay, I trust this person, you're using that rule of thumb, that heuristic that the trust is there, it must be factual, and taking it on. And it does, it does come in instantly when you're actually getting WhatsApp notifications. I think particularly with our within Ireland, there's the sense of the community and that things you know, get leaked through the back roads. So there was a trust that actually what was circulating was true, which wasn't necessarily the case. Okay, interesting. So given that we're in the, the midst of a, of a crisis still, how do you evaluate whether what you've seen through your research is simply transient or whether it will be long lasting and, and more enduring? I think really, what this is where a background in things like social psychology and behavioral economics really come to the fore because you're looking at rather than individual small trends such as a trend towards something like the massive uptake in TikTok, you're able to evaluate whether that is actually a social media trend that's going to continue to grow, which I think it actually will, or whether this was purely based on actually the circumstances that we're in and the the fact that people were looking for just an expression of who they are and a way to connect with other people. Does that, do you think, vary between different, uh, I guess, demographics or consumer groups or markets? Are there any trends that you've noticed there? Yeah, I think one of one of the trends that's really interesting is the one around sustainability and COVID. Definitely you see quite different perspectives around sustainability, recycling, packaging across different markets within Europe. Obviously this is something that we made great strides on before COVID within Ireland. When you actually think about it now, you're looking at a much more complex 
type of system because there's a, the evaluation of whether something is sustainable versus something that is safe. And we're having to make that decision all the time. And you see that within restaurants um, and coffee shops that actually, although they had made great strides towards reusable cups, that's no longer an option there. And I think we're going to begin to see that throughout numerous types of businesses where you're making these decisions actually based on new factors that come from COVID. And how do you think that'll play out in, in terms of technology? You mentioned there, you know, TikTok, is that just a, a, a fad or WhatsApp and the, the, the spurt of messages or equally people using Alexa and other devices? What sort of factors will do you think influence that in, into the longer term? I think at the moment what you see is with the growth in, in both TikTok um, and Twitch, which is an esports website, is you've seen this need for distraction and fun and it's really brought in consumers that might not have ended up on those platforms otherwise. However, they are then giving people these online communities of interest. So you're actually, people are now finding a community that have similar interests, that do similar things. And although there may be some people who begin to move away from them along along the lines of Zoom fatigue or switching off from technology, I think there's going to be a greater trend moving actually towards using technology to find other people um, who are like them. And I know we've been talking a lot about technology and we, we touched a little bit there on sustainability, but if we think about something like the health and well-being aspects that you've also done some research, is that something that perhaps crosses the generations more than the technology or the sustainability? And I'm thinking here about the older people who may have been cocooned during the worst of, of the lockdown here in Ireland. Were they perhaps engaging more with the health and well-being than they may have been with the sustainability or technology aspects? Well, I suppose we actually found something very interesting in our research, thinking about longer term trends and implications of big disruptive events. Um, so if we think back to the recession um, in Ireland, there would have been our kind of cohort of elder millennials and kind of that squeezed middle who were in their formative years during that recession. What we really saw was actually they behaved quite differently to the rest of the groups. So they're much more likely to be very value conscious, less likely to be socially conscious, but also going into health, they're more likely to be smoking than the rest of our age demographics and less likely to be exercising. So we're seeing um, a really interesting spike in um, this very kind of individual group, which isn't necessarily what we would have expected. Absolutely not, because I would have expected that that demographic you mentioned, the, I think you said the older millennials, given perhaps their awareness and access to technology, plus you would have assumed uh, an awareness as well of, of the health 
uh, and, and well-being benefits may have been using the, the two or putting the two together to, to to access things like Joe Wicks and, and so on in order to enhance their health and well-being through using technology. Yeah, absolutely. It was really something that we, we weren't expecting to see, but it was really very blatant across kind of all the different factors we looked at. And actually a paper published in the European Journal of Health Economics actually found that those adverse effects of unemployment, income shocks, living conditions do have an impact on health and an impact on long-term decision-making and things like that. So I think as we start thinking about the impact of COVID-19, actually what we're going to need to start thinking about is mental health, which is has already been identified as a massive threat in the short term, but also the longer term footprint by key demographics well into, you know, maybe 2030 and 2040, when you look at the impact of the last recession. Absolutely. And, and people do often talk about the longer term impacts of, of unemployment on, on well-being and, and uh, life expectancy and so on. But from that, what would you suggest that business leaders could do with the research? I mean, how could they use this research to better connect with their, their clients, their customers and stakeholders and so on? I think it's it always depends on the market that you're in. And I'm going to use the sustainability um, examples. So really, when we, we did a broader piece of research on sustainability, what we found was that there's quite a substantial um, section of the population, about a third, are very active, very engaged, and making those sorts of active behaviours in recycling, in using reusables, taking their own bags to the supermarket. But there's also a much more ambivalent group who care just as much but aren't yet making those actions. So I think kind of more, more usefully than age um, demographic segmentation can often be these attitudinal and behavioral segmentation pieces. Because when you look at that cohort of consumers, they're really your target for something like, like a sustainability campaign because they're much easier to convert. Um, particularly when you're looking at things like behavioural nudges. So with that idea that we're always looking to conform kind of to our in-group, so we're always looking to do what people around us are doing, they're a really easy target to try and encourage those positive behaviours because they already care about sustainability and the environment. So kind of as a long way to answer the question, Really, I think looking at research whenever you have it conducted, beginning to think much beyond those age cohorts and gender and actually beginning to look at people who are behaving in a particular way for your easy, easier targets and your easier conversions. And that would make a lot of sense, given the increased focus in recent years on different forms of diversity, apart from just age or gender or socioeconomic, recognizing diversity in, in all of its different forms, including attitudinal. And 
With that then, I mean, you, you mentioned nudges. Um, are, are there particular behavioral approaches, and I guess this harks back to your background in psychology, but are there particular behavioral approaches that could be harnessed effectively to, to try and build those stronger relationships with key clients and customers? I think it really does depend on the action that you're trying to take. I think you can tap into a number of, of different behavioral approaches. One which is very interesting, which is done by Behavioral Insights in the UK, is actually looking at getting people to reduce energy bills. So, and that's telling people that people around them are paying less. So it's actually beginning to tap into that sense of conformity. There's also the ability to kind of try and get people to think beyond the heuristics, getting people at a point where they still have some of that ability to make decisions. When you think about the circadian rhythms of your day, people are much more capable of making decisions earlier on than later in the evening. People are going to make much more impulsive decisions in the evening if you're looking for probably a less necessary product. So it's tapping in to the, the different types of psychological processes people make at different times. That sounds almost uh, almost cynical but but i absolutely understand where you're coming from there uh and it reminds me of a piece of research into the decision making patterns of of judges uh and how uh, if you want to want a good decision see the judge just uh, just after breakfast or just after lunch but if you want a harsh decision coming your direction then see them just before lunch or just before the end of the day when they're tired and hungry and uh, are likely just to want to, to, to move on. We, we've covered a lot of territory there both in terms of your research and in terms of the, the implications. If you were to perhaps you know boil it all down into a you know short statement um, that that a leader could take away and, and think about and work on for their business? What, what might it be? So I think really the first thing that you need to do is decide on the business problem that you want to address and look at whether you have research already within your organization, because so often that's the case. If you don't have any research, make sure you do it in a really targeted way with that business objective at the core. And then try um, to look at kind of maximizing how you use those findings. Think beyond those standard age, gender or um, economic demographics and try look at those attitudinal or behavioral differences. And that really might give you those insights in terms of who might be the most easily converted. So, uh, Claire, if people wanted to find out more, where would uh, you suggest they might go? Are there any particular websites that you could recommend? So I think probably if you want to contact us, we're Dentsu Consult uh, in Dentsu Aegis Network in Ireland. And if you want to hear a bit more about our research, please do get in touch. We're happy to share it with you. And we've released a webinar previously through the Marketing Institute of Ireland. Perfect. Claire O'Rourke from Dentsu Consult. It's uh, been great talking to you. Thank you very much for your time.
Thanks a million, Larry. Our theme song, La La Song, Electronic Beat Time and Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution share alike license.